the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome to our first, and hopefully not last, hand panel. Welcome today, Dr. Marshall Korimsky and Dr. Alexia Soria. We've had some discussions prior to the podcast regarding a variety of topics to be included in the interview. Each condition that we discussed, or at least some of the conditions that we discussed, will be presented to the panel in a case study, and our experts will discuss what it is, characteristic findings on exam and imaging, and treatments. First case, combining two topics, pediatric upper extremity and a dissatisfied patient. A 13-year-old right-hand dominant male named Jeff has taken up fencing. In preparation for his latest match, Jeff tripped over his epi and had a foosh. I'm sure we all know what a foosh is, but just in case, fell on outstretched hand. When you enter the room, his mom, Jupiter Harmony, says his balance is not great. And just look at my poor child, he's in so much pain as she clutches him close to her. You've got to help my baby, she exclaims. You make a note of this behavior and begin your exam of Jeff. You lift his wrist off the pillow that mom was holding under his arm when they came in the office. His wrist has no edema or ecchymosis, but he does guard from the exam. His range of motion is limited, and he has maximum tenderness over the anatomic snuff box. This pain can be reproduced with axial load applied through the thumb metacarpal. His distal neurovascular function is intact, and he has no elbow tenderness, and the elbow range of motion is full. So we get some x-rays, and the x-rays include the scaphoid view, and there's no obvious fracture defect on the x-ray. But his exam and his mechanism of injury are consistent with a scaphoid injury. Okay, what do we do next? Do we immobilize it, recheck it? Do we get further imaging? What do our experts have to say? Where do we go and why? Dr. Soria? Most likely, based on what you said, no, no edema, no ecchymosis. I probably would thumb spike a cast or splint for a week, recheck, examine x-ray, and if still tender with snuff box, tenderness at a week, and still negative x-rays, I would get an MRI at that point. Mm-hmm. Dr. Karimsky, same? When I know that there's a clear best answer, then I would tend to review what I know and don't know with the family and encourage them to think strongly about why one method should be considered. For a lot of other times where there are options, then I I usually will present those options to the family and I am typically comfortable with any of them. Put another way, if there are multiple different reasonable choices and no clear right or wrong, I'll just lay them out for the family and let them choose. So this is a very common scenario for us, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I will offer three options here. I will offer early MRI for the sake of obtaining that information. I will offer casting and following up in four weeks time. And I will offer a splint and recheck in one to two weeks. All right, moving forward. During your evaluation of Jeff, you can hear Mrs. Harmony behind you chattering. Oh my God, it's a fracture, isn't it? I knew it, I knew it. It's bad, isn't it? Why are you taking so long? Is he going to need surgery? Why did x-rays take so long? Why do we need more tests? Can't you see what's going on on the x-ray? You mean you don't have a radiologist read the x-ray? How can you know what's wrong? How much is MRI going to cost me? Why aren't you fixing my baby? Look at him. All of this without much of a breath between exclamations. When Jeff went to x-ray, she refused to stay in the exam room and went with him to the x-ray. All the while telling the staff, be careful, watch his arm. Why are you moving it like that? Can you see he's in pain? You are five patients behind and you can hear a mom ranting through the door of the room where you are seeing your next patient while Jeff is in x-ray. 
Obviously, mom is hysterical, and this is making everyone uptight. What do we do? The difficult patient, the dissatisfied patient. I know everyone's had something like this in the past. What do you say in these situations? How do you diffuse the situation? How do you make this better? Dr. Kremsky, how about you take that one? Sure. This can be really difficult. Mom is already scared, anxious, and concerned. There are going to be some unknowns for a period of time. There may be some catastrophic thinking taking place. In my opinion, the best thing is to say what you know and don't know in a calm manner and have the confidence to be the calmest person in the room and being comfortable stating that you don't know when you simply don't know. I think making sure that you are sitting down, facing the patient with direct eye contact is important. You should have already at some point in time completed a physical examination where you've touched the patient as well. And showing images provides some context so that people can see what's going on or why you might not be able to definitively say what's going on. And there'll come a point where some situations aren't meant to be totally diffused. But I think with something, an approach like this, it has served me well more often than not. And certainly there's just times where the situation spirals out of control. But these are some of the strategies that I've used to to try and take an anxious or even agitated patient or family member and try to swing that situation into a different different direction. Mm-hmm. Dr. Soria, have you had Mrs. Harmony in your clinic and how do you manage this? We've all had this in our clinic. Bringing the x-rays in the room is often what I'll do and definitely get an exam first. So you kind of listen, listen to their concerns and their anxiety for a little bit and then get a good exam. Make sure that you understand you know, where the patient's hurting first before jumping into the x-rays, but then really going over what I find on exam and trying to explain it in a way that they come to the level of understanding that I have, whatever that might be. Maybe it's not a complete understanding of the picture, or maybe it is going over what I see or don't see on imaging. And I find that once you empower them with understanding where you're, where you're coming from, that that often will help all the anxiety in the room. And, and, and then coming up, like Marshall said, sometimes, sometimes you'll go straight to an MRI earlier in a situation like this. And sometimes not, and that can come down to financial, you know, other other reasons somebody might want to to go to advanced imaging or choose one plan over another. Yeah, I think getting an MRI sooner rather than later in some cases is a benefit for peace of mind, if nothing else, if insurance is covering it. Okay, back to Jeff. Poor Jeff in his fencing perils. He wound up getting an MRI, and it shows a mildly comminuted, non-displaced scaphoid waist fracture. Aside from dealing with Mrs. Harmony, what's next for Jeff? And explain why, please. Dr. Soria. Mildly comminuted, non-displaced, in a scaphoid, that's, that, that might be a confusing read. I think laying eyes on that fracture, is it, is it well opposed? Is there any flexion? Now you're really getting into the intricacies of, is this going to heal well and maintain good carpal alignment for this patient if we do not put a screw across it? Or, or is this something that, you know, is going to be fairly unstable, have a tendency to move and needs fixation? I think you're what you're what this case study is trying to get at is a, is a conservative management or truly non-displaced scaphoid in a, in a 12-year-old. I think that that's a very reasonable approach. In that situation, I would recommend a shorter arm pump spiker cast. Mm-hmm. Dr. Karimsky? This scenario with that type of x-ray and in this patient's age, I would probably lean towards cast immobilization. I agree with Dr. Soria that this would be, for me, a thumb spike, a short arm cast with reevaluation and four-week intervals for both radiographic and clinical examination. That being said, 
there are instances where discussing surgical intervention should be included as well. And for me, that would be presented as an option, but not necessarily as the best story or a strongly emphasized option. I would like to cover that with them though, because I think that there are times where that is reasonable and that may just depend on patient circumstances and that may depend upon the specific nuances of that x-ray as well. Mm -hmm. Good, great answer. Okay, some questions relating to pediatric scaphoid injuries. If casting is the treatment for a scaphoid fracture and we're trying to treat this non-operatively, a long arm or short arm thumb spica cast, why or why not? Partly because of training experience and partly because of some studies that have been shown. I don't perceive much difference between the short arm and long arm spica cast for scaphoid fracture. So my practice involves a short arm thumb spica cast only. And really only if I need to control forearm or the distal ulnar joint will I go above the elbow. Dr. Soria, I'm assuming similar. If you do see a bipartite scaphoid, is that a congenital anomaly or a non-union from a prior trauma? I have never seen a true bipartite scaphoid. I think there are some maybe unsure if, if, if it's a true congenital anomaly or not, but it would be a non-union for me. If I saw that, it would be a non-union sort of until proven otherwise. You know, I definitely want to work that up and get some advanced imaging and thorough history and contralateral films, all of the above, uh, before I assumed that this was a congenital anomaly. Last point. Other thoughts on scaphoid fracture in pediatrics. What if Jeff were six or seven years old and had reproducible snuffbox tenderness? How does that change your algorithm for treatment, if at all? If the scaphoid ossification is complete, I don't think it would change much. In this situation, I feel very comfortable with short arm cast, both my shorter experience, but as well as um, some evidence that there, there's not a huge amount of difference. Now, if it's a really small kid, a six-year-old that looks like a four-year-old, that might be different sometimes, you know, in, in that situation, the cast just doesn't, doesn't stay on them very well, in which case I would consider a long arm cast. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the answer to that last question would be proceeding with recommending a thumb spike, a cast at that time for four weeks under the assumption that it is fractured and that would be the appropriate treatment. No advanced imaging needed for me. And if it's not fractured, explain to the, to the parent that if nothing else, the child will be more comfortable and they'll be treated appropriately. I would not see the need to bring back and recheck. I would probably offer that to the family at the 10 to 14 day mark. And certainly if, if x-rays and repeat examination were okay, I'd, I'd probably let the patient go at that point in time. But I think the easiest, safest thing that covers all bases for me when somebody is that young and they have legitimate pain in a specific location about the wrist, would just cast. Doctors, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate everything. Thanks so much, Sam, for having us today. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Extremities in the Carolinas, Trauma for General Orthopedics, May 21st and 22nd, 2021. Check out the paos.org website for details.